Uh, hey, Luke 2 is where we're going to be today. Luke 2, a familiar passage, Christmas passage. Uh, we'll be there and then also in John's gospel as well, particularly in passages, or it's, uh, chapter 15 and 16. Uh, so if you want to kind of put a thumb there as well, but all that will be on the screen. Um, look, celebrating joy today. Uh, in a very traditional way, uh, we've taken uh, each Sunday and, and really approached these four themes that the church has celebrated throughout the history of Advent. Hope a couple of weeks ago, peace last week. Today, we are focused on joy. Joy. What is joy? Look, I, I think one of the easiest ways that, that we can attack this, that we can come at this and, and get to a place of understanding about the joy that we're called to experience during Advent and all seasons, all Advent seasons of waiting on Christ's return. To get to joy, we really need to walk through some existential dread. Just some hard, hard stuff. Can't think of a better place than Charlie Brown Christmas. And I mean that very seriously, because existential dread is where that begins. That's what happens at the beginning of this. Who's seen a Charlie Brown Christmas in here? All right. Unequivocally, unmatched, the best soundtrack of all the soundtracks for Christmas. All right. Uh, But here's the other thing. There's There's some incredible stuff in this story, in this depiction of this little cartoon person. Um, who I think, when I was young, saw as this one that was unlucky and that things didn't work out for, right? But the older I've gotten, the more life I've lived, quite frankly, the more pain I've experienced. And having conversations with you and knowing you and knowing your story and your pain that you've walked through relationally with folks, Financially, physically, personally, health-wise, all of the things that we encountered, I look out at a room full of people who look like they have like yellow t-shirts with this zigzag thing on it. You know why? Because you've experienced life like I have, and in many ways that a lot of days life is just one big football that's being pulled away from you when you try to kick it. That that's what life feels like. Here's how this movie starts, and we're going to see something really beautiful, something really poignant, something really revelatory that comes from the gospel passage in Luke that addresses the pain that Charlie Brown feels. Here's what happens. First line of the movie, Charlie says this to Linus. He says, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. And Linus looks at him and he says, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Right? What's Charlie's problem? What's his issue? A couple of things in that very first statement. One, he doesn't, he doesn't feel happy. He doesn't feel happy. So what he's describing is this state in which he exists in a moment, in a circumstance, where he's not happy. Things are not well. They don't sit well with him. Part of it is because he says, he even says, 
that I'm not supposed to feel this way. I know I'm supposed to feel something more. There's this deep, abounding expectation in him that things are meant to be different than they are. And he's upset because Christmas has become commercialized, right? Lucy wants real estate for Christmas. All right, my kids want some wild stuff, but it ain't real estate. They're not there yet. All the real estate agents in the room are like, talk to me, talk to me, I know. Um, <laughs> you're not over yet. Um, but look, Snoopy is trying to get ready for this lighting contest, right? That's what, that's what he wants. He wants to be recognized in this outward way. And then Sally asked Charlie to make this giant, gaudy list of all of these things that she wants all of this stuff. And Charlie just kind of boldly proclaims on the set of this Christmas play and pageant that they're having. He becomes frustrated. He says, I don't understand the meaning of Christmas. I don't get it. I don't get it. What is the point? And then Linus reads these words. It's Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. He says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. And Linus does his own rendition of thanks be to God. He says all this. And he walks over to Charlie Brown, and this is his thanks be to God moment. He looks at him and he says, that's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. And there's this awakening moment where this little cartoon character beholds this deep truth that life isn't about circumstantial things. We believe that. We do. I just don't know that we're people that really live it in a way that would reflect that we really believe it. Here's what I mean. All of these things that Charlie Brown's consumed with, all these other characters, look, this is a cartoon depiction of who you and I are. We just long for happiness. We just want the stuff around us to be good. We proclaim this to each other constantly. What do we tell people every day? What do we say when, when we leave, when we depart typically? We say what? Have a good day. Right? It is embedded in us to, to long for even not only ourselves, but for other people to experience goodness, happiness. Things that are, that are joyful, but in a very practical and simple way. In a very temporal way. In a daily way. Have a good day. Have a nice day. 
right? We, this is a part of who we are. Here's the thing. I want you to be happy. I do. And quite frankly, at the core of my being, I want me to be happy. I really do. <laughs> Mia said yes. <laughs> a little too emphatic. But there is more to life than happiness. Something deep, something rich, something powerful. Because happiness is fleeting. Happiness is temporary. It comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. It's external and it's temporary. I want to look at the scriptures today and find these two things. First, this. In a world obsessed with happiness, happiness is external and it's temporary. But those of us who trust in Jesus, we have something much deeper, much richer, much fuller. In fact, so full that it's complete. We have this thing called joy. And joy is internal and it's permanent. So see these things today. Happiness, external and temporary. Happiness is the things that exist outside us, around us, the the circumstances, the events, the things that characterize the moment in which we live. And And it's temporary. It changes. But joy instead is internal. It's not about the life that is being comprised of the things that are outside of us. Instead, it's about the life that is in us. And that life is permanent. Look at John chapter 15. We're going to look at two passages in John today. The first of which is John 15, 1 through 11. And we're going to get this really real depiction from Jesus' mouth. that gives us this understanding that joy... It's this internal thing. It's meant to exist in us. And that it's lasting. It's abiding. That it's eternal. This is John 15, uh, 1 through 11. And before we read it, this is, this is Jesus' farewell discourse. This is him in a few chapters, we see in 15 and 16, leading up to the high priestly prayer in 17, as, as Jesus approaches death, his, his crucifixion and resurrection, he is instructing the disciples in these final moments and saying the most important things, recapping everything that he's taught them with brevity and with clarity. We tell people to have a nice day when we leave, but also when we leave, I bet this is how you end your phone calls. I bet this is how you leave, if you leave your spouse at home in the morning or you leave your kids, what do you tell them when you leave? We just don't even talk to our people we're related to. What are we doing here? What do we tell them? We love you. We love them. Right? Why? It's the main thing. It's the most important thing. So this is what Jesus is doing here. He's saying the main thing, the most important thing, and it's this. John 15, 1 through 11. 
He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I am he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Walking through all of this, where's joy? Where is joy? We're seeing abiding. We're seeing obedience. We're seeing God's glory and our trusting in him and bearing fruit. And look to the purpose of what Jesus writes this. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at verse 11. Look at this. These things I have spoken to you that. Stop right there. This is the purpose statement. This is the reason that Jesus says this. Jesus says very clearly, this is why I am saying this to you. And this is what he says. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. My joy may be in you and your joy may be full. What does this mean? What is Jesus telling his disciples? What is he telling you and me about what joy is? In these verses, he tells his disciples to abide in him, to stay in him, to remain in him. Why? So they get to experience joy. Because this is what joy is. It is relationship with God internally, that that joy might not be around us. It might not exist near us. It might not be something that we access from time to time or that we approach it sometimes at a distance. And then sometimes we bring it close. No, this is what it says that my joy may be in you, in you. And that that relationship with God that Jesus describes, look at verses eight, look at verses nine, this relationship in which he is so Integrated in communion with the Father, that is a relationship of deep love. This relationship, this joy, may be full. That word full there means complete. It means perfect. It means this. It means lacking nothing. No thing. It is Full and it is perfect. So what is Jesus' joy? It's this. It's his relationship with the Father. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. By this my Father is glorified. This is the relationship that he has with the Father. As my, the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And that joy is to be internalized. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we now have relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son by the Spirit. This is what we have. So now Jesus is not this other thing that's just kind of like a lot of other things in life. 
It's not just another thing. If anyone has trusted in Christ, if anyone has believed in Jesus, he or she is a new creation. You're new in Jesus. How is that possible? Paul would write in Romans 5 and say that the the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We have been marked with a deposit. This is not just the Holy Spirit is this thing that we, again, can access from time to time or we go to every once in a while. The very Spirit of God indwells you if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. This is what a relationship with God is meant to look like. This is what joy is. It's God in us. And this is how we experience God with us. There's this famous phrase. I, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago that uh, G.K. Chesterton, this guy was this incredible writer, going to be this amazing theologian. When he came to Christ in England, it was a big deal. And this newspaper writer comes to him and said, hey, I heard you recently converted to Christianity. You, you've recently believed in Jesus. And he says, yes. And he says, can I ask you a question? And he says, yeah, sure. Ask me anything. And he says, if Jesus was here, if God was here, what would you say to him? And Chesterton's response was, he is. He is. The very spirit of God lives in us. This is the origin. This is the source of our joy. It is relationship with God. Jesus himself is our joy. That's what joy is. That's not something that happens outside of us or around us or is dictated by a circumstance. How do we know that? Because it's permanent. The joy is permanent. It's full. It's complete. It's lacking nothing. The joy that you and I experience as believers is not diminished by circumstance. So we can be Charlie Brown... We can be bummed out. We can be unhappy. There's freedom. It's allowed. I think a number of you embrace it every week because you look at me and you're not super happy, it feels like. But there's freedom. That's okay. And yet your joy is not gone. How do you know that? This is what Paul writes in Romans 8. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and here's the catch-all, nor anything else in all creation will, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. That's how complete our joy is. That's how complete our joy in Jesus is. It's full, it's done, it's finished. So none of the things in the external world, these temporal things, can destroy, can rob you of, can take from you the joy that you have in Jesus. None of it. Look at how the scriptures demonstrate joy as the relationship that we have with God, that it is this internal thing and that it is complete in Christ. This is 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Apostle John writes, and he's writing of Jesus, 
But that of which he writes is Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So here's the foundational element of all of this. Where is the joy in this? One, it is internal. It is this thing that has happened where now, John writes and he says, to you in these churches, to each of us, we now have fellowship with the Father in Jesus Christ. We literally have real communion with, connection with, relationship with God Because of believing the gospel, of trusting in, of yielding our life to the fact that this Jesus who has been heard, that his voice was audibly heard, that he was seen, that he was actually pictured, that he was looked upon, meaning that that he was looked at and not just seen, but seen intently and up close. This is that behold language that we sing of. When we sing, behold him, we're saying, look intently. See him. And the apostles had this benefit as well. They touched him. They saw him. They shook hands. They hugged. They embraced. Believing that, trusting in Christ, repenting of sins, yields this thing that happens where, wait, now I'm in God and God's in me through Christ by the spirit. So this internal thing happens where John says, I have fellowship with God. This is happening in me. This is not just outside of me. And this is not some temporary thing because he describes joy that is complete. Joy that is complete. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what do we see here? What is happening? Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is its origin and he is its completion. This is something that is happening in us that he is doing. That faith is from him. It's truly a gift of him. And this is the joy The joy is that he establishes that relationship for us. That's what's set before him. The joy of relationship with the Father, loving obedience, abiding, trusting him to the point of death, even death on a cross. He endures the cross. This internal relational thing is happening. It's relationship with he and the Father and then giving us relationship through his life, death, and then despising the shame That shame is temporary. 
He's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's permanent. That's present tense. This joy is internal and this joy is permanent. It doesn't shift. It doesn't change. This is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. This is what it looks like lived out. Do you know those people that bad things can't happen to them? I mean, they can and they do, but you just never know it. Because this is how they live. Count it all joy, James writes, he says, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds... For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He calls them to embrace. He calls them to recognize joy. He says, count it all joy. Proclaim it to be, mark it as, state it as, recognize this as joy. How do you do that? Where do you do that? Here's where you do it when there's trials of various kinds. When you live in that moment, that horrible, horrible, hard to understand and believe and rest in and trust in promise that Jesus doesn't say we'll be happy. He promises what? Trouble. We're going to have trouble. If you're in here and you haven't trusted Jesus, you might be saying, look, this is, you're not doing a great job selling this. <laughs> and I'm not. But it's the truth. That you'll have trouble. That we will have trouble as we follow Jesus. But we'll be the only people in the world... Who can endure trial and pain and hardship and terror and heartbreak and the death and the loss and the pain and the grief and the emptiness and the loneliness of life and yet still have joy? How do we have joy? How do you do that? You rest in what God is doing in you. Not all these things that happen outside of you. The things that God is doing in you. And the first thing that he's done, if you've trusted Jesus, you've experienced new life. He's made you new. And through this kind of stuff, this painful stuff, these trials that we face, mental, physical, emotional, relational, all of the things that might assail us, our joy is not diminished. And God is. By his spirit is making us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Because he's given us himself in Jesus. He is our joy. John 16. We'll close with this one. Um, This is another portion of that farewell discourse. John 16. Jesus understands that his disciples don't understand. The good shepherd knows the futile minds of his sheep. And their struggle, their inability to understand all that he said 
clearly and plainly to them. This is John 16, 16 through 22. This is what he says. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy. That a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. This is the beauty of Advent. It's waiting. It's longing. It's reaching for, for each of us, a time that is promised to come in the return of Jesus as we look back to his first coming to us, the incarnation. In these moments of waiting, you and I are experiencing pain. There's real grief that we walk through. But that'll be forgotten. Because joy is lasting. And nothing can take away that joy. This scripture is why you perk up and your eyes light up when you sing the thrill of hope. I watched you sing it. I watched two two services of people sing it this morning. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. You're a part of that weary world. It's still here. It's not complete yet. Look at John 16 and verse 20. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Jesus Christ is the joy that has come to us. Not come to us so that we can be happy. Not come to just give us a feeling of happiness at Christmas or at any other time. Or a feeling that we're feeling what we're, we're supposed to feel in that season. No. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's richer than that. It's fuller than that. I don't know where you are today. But I know where you've been this week because I've talked to you. Or we've texted. Or we've emailed. 
and there's pain. And quite frankly, it's a lot deeper than Charlie Brown's pain. It really is. It's deeper than just not feeling well for a second and having an unsettled sentiment about oneself. But a number of us are walking through real pain, stuff that we're grieving. Some of us had a hard summer. Some of us had a hard spring. Some of us had a hard fall. Some of us lost someone. Or we saw a relationship go by the wayside that cannot be restored. We've seen all of these things happen. Mental deterioration in our family. Financial struggle. Brokenness. Pain. All of these things. They don't feel like Christmas, you guys. They really don't. So we'll dress it up, right? And we'll take this season and we'll try to be happy. Forget that. Seriously. Forget that. Forget that and remember that you have joy. You have joy in Jesus Christ that circumstances cannot touch. And remember that the pain that we all experience, that we all walk through, that we all struggle with. That's not what lasts. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, what lasts is that glorious moment that's like a newborn baby. You mothers in the room can identify with this. And you fathers can identify with it looking on the outside in. So our, our firstborn, Millie, uh, was complicated. They, Mia wasn't well. She wasn't well. So I didn't get to be there for that one. Um, but Clover, I did. And no book in the world, no amount of videos could have prepared me For all the stuff, and we'll just leave it at that, okay, <laughs> that happens at childbirth. It's hard. You watch, you watch your wife in, in pain. And then in an instant, it all goes away. Not trying to minimize the pain. <laughs> seasons where it returns. Um, <laughs> But look, you, you see, you hold, you have a tangible picture of something that lasts. Joy lasts because death dies. You understand that? This is the incarnation. This is life coming to destroy death. Jesus is putting death to death in the life that he takes on. The flesh that he wraps himself in. There is 
deep joy there. So, okay, how do we live this out? How do we, how do we experience this? How do we, how do we take this and go with it? Three things. One, just just the lens that we're working toward, we're moving toward here. How do we experience joy in this Advent season? Here's how we do it. One, believe the gospel. Believing the gospel. What's the gospel that we've read this morning? For the joy set before him, Jesus endures the cross. He despises the shame. And the beautiful thing is not just despising in some emotional way and kind of pushing back against the shame, but actually in his physical body, he physically despises and destroys shame. He kills it so that we can be the righteousness of God. Believe the gospel that joy is in you by the Holy Spirit. Joy is in you and it's permanent. There is nothing that can pluck you from God's hand. Here's the second thing. How do we live in the gospel? It's this. We abide in Christ. We abide in Christ. We stay. We remain. Look, this is a winter season. You look out and you'll start to see trees, a number of them. Our sad, sad tree in our yard. I think we're the first one on the street to lose our leaves. Um, this is a ter- it's just a terrible tree. It really is kind of a Charlie Brown tree. It is. It's, that tree's awful. You don't think it's that bad. Anyway. Here's the thing I love about winter. Those leaves fall away and it looks dead, right? It's not dead. Why is it not dead? The branches aren't gone. The branches are there. Jesus doesn't say, I'm the vine and you're the leaves. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. You're going to leave today. Look out and see these trees. It looks hard. It looks painful. It looks sad. It's not full. It's not rich. It's not complete. It's as complete as it's ever been. Because those branches are connected to the vine. In any hard season, in any painful season, we have joy As we stay, we sit in, we rest in, we remain connected to trusting in Jesus in obedience. Here's the third thing. How do we live out the gospel? We count everything as joy to the world. We count it as joy. We take the freedom that we have in Christ and we embrace the pain and the trials and the tribulations and the hurt and the brokenness and the grief and the sadness and the emptiness and the loneliness and the despair that we often feel. And some of you guys are looking at me like, like, like you don't know this stuff. You know this stuff. And if you don't, it's coming. That's not a prediction. That's a promise. How we live out the gospel and all that stuff? You count it joy. Because those things don't define you. What, is, what defines you? Christ is in you and that is permanent. It does not go away. So this is the opportunity we have this morning. Um, I'm going to ask Pax and our team to come. And I'm going to leave you with, with one line uh, here from an old song. Five words. Happiness happens 
but joy abides. Happiness happens, but joy abides. Happiness is this thing that will come to you or that you'll find or quite honestly, you'll go out and try to create and you will in some circumstances. But it won't last because it can't. It's circumstantial. Joy, however, joy abides. It's never diminished. Truly, happiness is something that comes or it's something that we pursue. I think about in a national way how I'm thankful for that. We would say that, that, that we're created equal, that we're endowed with these certain unalienable rights. And quite frankly, that, that we have the opportunity, life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. That's a beautiful thing. And in a, in a, in a human way, in a, in a cultural way, in a, in a national way, that's a great thing. That we can pursue happiness. That's a beautiful freedom. Here's a better one. I want to be very clear. This is infinitely better. We pursue happiness, but joy pursued us. Joy pursued us. Joy came to us. Truly incarnate. Joy himself, Jesus, takes on flesh to put death to death that we might have life. That we might have communion with God. That stays. That abides. That is permanent and it's in us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Help us to abide in you. Help us to rest in you. God, would you cause us to believe the gospel? It gives us this beautiful picture of joy, not of something external, not of something circumstantial, not of the moment that we're in or what we have, what food's on the table, what the checking account looks like, how our investments are doing, how our health is, Grades are, how many people like us or consider us worthy of their praise. Instead, Father, help us to believe the gospel. It goes beyond any happiness we could ever pursue. To believe that children has come to us in your son, Jesus. Father, may Just this.